excited to recommend a new podcast to you, Talking Pictures, from TCM and Max. The podcast features TCM host Ben Mankiewicz in conversation with iconic filmmakers and writers as they discuss their earliest film memories, along with their favorite films, creative influences, and guilty pleasures. After all, the best filmmakers of our time are film fans at their core, just like the rest of us. And who wouldn't want to listen to Mel Brooks or Patty Jenkins uncover the movies that made them? You'll get to hear both those filmmakers on upcoming episodes of the Talking Pictures podcast. Right now, I'm excited to share the very first episode of Talking Pictures with you, which features a conversation with Nancy Myers. Nancy Myers is a legend, and though you may be more familiar with the movies she's directed over the past 25 years and the coastal grandma, fabulous kitchen aesthetics of movies like Something's Gotta Give and It's Complicated— Her career goes back much further. She was nominated for an Oscar for her first produced screenplay, Private Benjamin, in 1980. And if you follow her on Instagram, you've probably seen her post about her love of screwball comedies and other genres from Hollywood's first century. I'm excited to hear her talk to Ben Mankiewicz about the movies she loves. Without further ado, here is the first episode of Talking Pictures with Nancy Myers. And make sure to go find the Talking Pictures feed and listen on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Ben Mankiewicz. Hi, I'm Ben Mankiewicz. Welcome to TCM. Hi, I'm Ben Mankiewicz. Thanks for staying up late with us on Turner Classic Movies. I've been a host on Turner Classic Movies for 20 years now, and I have to tell you, it's still thrilling to talk to people about movies, to hear what they like and what they don't like, to find out what was going on in their lives when a particular film became important to them. So I thought, why not have more of those conversations? Why not have a podcast? Everyone else has one. Why can't I? Why not sit down, one-on-one, with the most creative people in Hollywood and ask them about their lives, ask them about the movies that matter to them? So I did. Put away the suit and the pocket square and the TV makeup. Put on my boots. TCM fans know the boots I'm talking about. Got my hair right. I'm kidding. My hair is always right. Listeners will come to understand my hair is kind of a big deal. It is responsible, I believe, for 63% of my success in this business. Okay, enough about my hair. It's all you guys talk about. Anyway, I went to people's homes. I went to their offices. No cameras, no press. Just me and my guest talking pictures. I'm your host, Ben Mankiewicz, and this is Talking Pictures, a podcast about movies, about memories, and about all the stuff that happens in between. Turner Classic Movies makes this podcast with the streaming service Max, where you can see many of the movies mentioned in this episode. I'm especially excited about our first guest. She's written and directed some of the most well-liked movies for grown-ups over the last 30 years. Something's Gotta Give. It's Complicated. The Holiday. Of course, I'm talking about Nancy Myers. Nancy is known for her sharp scripts, but in recent years, she's also become known for the interior settings where her characters live. That focus on the decor in her movies, A, irritates her, and B, has become a trend on social media. The hashtag Nancy Myers aesthetic 
has more than 27 million views on TikTok. About that, I don't have TikTok. Moreover, I can't spell aesthetic without Googling it. But people post videos of like a large white kitchen or an elegant dining room with a big wooden table and tons of natural light, and they'll label it Nancy Myers Aesthetic. Tonight Show host Jimmy Fallon and country singer Chris Stapleton even created a skit about it. Chilled wine, roast chicken sitting on the island in a beautiful kitchen. Big windows, strong women, scarves, cashmere, and the pants are linen. Thing is, Nancy Myers is one of the most successful romantic comedy writer directors of her time. Full stop. She routinely works with the biggest stars in Hollywood Meryl Streep, Robert De Niro, Steve Martin, Jack Nicholson. That didn't happen because of how she designs her sets. Nancy invited us to her home in Los Angeles. Where are we right now, just in oh. general? Where Wait. are we right now? We're in the dining room of my house. That's it. That's what we're, that's what we're looking for. Okay. Um, have you <laughs> did lived... I answer that correctly? You did. Correct. That's room. right. She's one for one. Yeah. Um, what, uh, you've lived here how long? Why? I've lived here uh, 25 years. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, it's a nice looking house. We began by talking about the one thing Nancy feels makes or breaks her movies. Casting. Uh, casting, is there a more important part? You know, once you've written the screenplay, is there a, a more important part than picking the right actor for the role? I don't think there is. No. I think, yeah. Some people think it's all the script and actors, but that is most of it. I'm always interested to hear who was once going to be in a movie. Oh, it's the favorite thing that we do on TCM. Like, what do you mean? You, you go? Are you mobile? You like you go the, back always and talk about yes. Yeah, like you think that this actor is so perfect for this, but they were the fifth. Well, choice. Montgomery. Cl yes, right. I know, but isn't it crazy how You're, it can work out? So Montgomery Cliff was supposed to be on Sunset Boulevard. Do you know that? I, not off the top of my head, no. I think it was just a few weeks before shooting. He backed out. His agent had told him, "This is according to this fabulous book uh, written by Charles Brackett about his work with Billy Wilder." So it was just a few weeks before shooting, and his agent said, you don't want to be in a movie where you're having sex with a, you know, this older woman. This is not good for your career. So he listened, and he backed out. And they went to somebody else. They went to somebody else. And William Holden was under contract to Fox or something, had made just one movie. Like, can you picture the movie without his voice? No. Or him? Crazy. Impossible, right? right? right. Impossible. When we play this casting game at TCM, I always think about one of my favorite journalism movies, Howard Hawks' 1940 screwball comedy, His Girl Friday, starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. I brought it up with Nancy. How much do you love His Girl Friday? I couldn't love it more. I couldn't love it more. I think the scene when she comes to his, uh, comes to his office to say she's getting married is one of the great scenes in movies between exes between a man and a woman in a work environment. It's everything. It's everything. Forget the other offer. I'll raise you 25 bucks listen a week. Listen to me, you great big bumble-headed bamboo. I'll you 35 bucks and not a cent more. Well, are you going to listen? Well, good grief. How much is that other paper going to pay you? There isn't any other paper. Oh, well, in that case, I'll raise it off. You go back to your old salary. I'm like, how do you like oh. that? I'm trying to blackjack me. Hold on, I want to show you something. I'm it's busy. here. It's a ring. Take a good what? look at it. You know what, what it is? It's an engagement ring. Yeah. I tried to tell you right away, but you would start reminiscing. 
I'm getting married, Walter, and I'm also getting as far away from the newspaper business as I can get. She was, I believe, the eighth. No! Eighth. No! Eighth. No, eighth. Name there almost can't be seven, every... But there can't be seven people that could have been right for that, let alone eight. But, you know, really? Lombard first, but she but, was priced out at that point, you know, uh, too expensive. And, and I'm going to leave some out. Irene Dunn, of course, right? Yeah. Makes sense. And some of them, you know, busy, couldn't do it, didn't align right. But it's eight. And she knew, Roz Russell knew, and was like... She killed it. I also, don't care. Like, I want it. I'm eighth. Let's go. It's come to me. Right. I'm going to do it. Right, right. But, and I have written for people and didn't get them. I've, I, knock wood, I, I, off, I have gotten them, but there's a couple of times when I haven't. And then afterwards, I can't picture the original person in it. Right. Myers ended up getting the actors she wanted for the 2003 film, Something's Gotta Give. It stars Jack Nicholson as a wealthy 60-something New Yorker who's become known for dating women less than half his age. Diane Keaton is a successful playwright. Nancy had worked with Keaton several times before. In this scene from Something's Gotta Give, their characters meet for the first time, with Keaton finding Jack, a stranger, in her kitchen. No! Oh, God! Okay, you stay where you are. I am going to dial 911, and you are not going to move. No, you don't understand. I'm a friend of your daughter's. Yeah, I don't think so. My daughter is in the city, and you, what, you, like, wandered in here high on ecstasy? Honestly. Hello. Yes! Yes, I have an intruder in my house. 29 Daniel Zane, Sagaponic. I'm dating your daughter, Marin. Oh! You're dating my daughter? Now, who would have thought that would be worse news? So, let's talk about Something's Gotta Give and, and Jack Nicholson. He was my first choice. And you didn't, you hadn't, you didn't know him? Well. Or not well, right? Is a double date still a thing? I had been on a, <laughs> is that a thing? I had been on a double date. I was out with Harry Giddis. You know the name Giddis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Right, Mr. Yeah. Giddis, Mr. you know Giddis, that name. Yeah. And um, he's best friends with Jack, and we went out with Jack and Angelica to a movie. But I was in Hold my, on. what? Well, what movie? Okay. Um, the movie was um, Harry and Walter Go to New York. Not, not the answer I thought we were looking for. Is that, is that, uh, is that <laughs> Elliot Ellie, Ellie Gould and James Caan, right? That's correct. Yeah. And Diane. Oh, right. And Diane, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we left, Jack said, let's go over to Elliot's house. So, of course, I'm dying. But just the whole, the whole car ride, everything was crazy. It was so exciting. And uh, we went over to Elliot's house, and he wasn't home. And we all left notes on his door. I remember that. Jack wrote a note. I, I said, do you want me to write a note? Like, why would, <laughs> why would he want my opinion of what I thought? But, um, but, but, you know, I was in my... How old was I then? I know how old I was. Late 20s, 30, and I was 50-something when I went to him. So I, had to go. so I don't even think I told him about that till after we knew each other. But, he, but yes, so I didn't know him, but, of course, I love... I love him now. I loved him then. I've always loved him. And he was who you had in mind yes. as, your, as your writing. Yes, he was stuff. who I had in mind. I wanted Diane and Jack. And um, Diane said, you're never getting him. She said, I love, I pitched her the whole thing. She said, I love it, but you're never going to get him. I said, but let me write the movie. Let me try. And uh, I don't know why I had the guts to do this, but for some reason, I, this was a section of my life where I would meet with actors while I was writing or before I was writing just to see if they were interested because I would so focus on them. And if, like, they would say to me, I'd never want to be in a movie like this, I would not do that. 
so anyway, so I asked um, Jim Brooks, who was friends with Jack and had directed him, you know, in terms of endearment. I said, could you introduce me to him? So, yeah, he called Jack and he said, I want to fix you up with somebody, which was a cute way of saying it. <laughs> and I went up there and... Uh, to his house. To, I went up to his house, the famous house up on Mulholland. He has an incredible art collection. Like, you, you don't know whether you should look at that face, which you can't stop staring at, or the paintings all around you. He has an incredible art collection. And he's into it. It's not, he's not doing it because he thinks it makes the house look good. He, he likes the art. Oh, he loves the art. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so I, I went up there and I said, I, I'm, I have this idea. I want you and Diane. Can I tell you the story? And blah, blah, blah. And I told him the whole thing. And he was great. He was absolutely great to pitch to. And he said, well, I've always wanted to do a tuxedo comedy. <laughs> and I said, oh, I never heard that expression, but I hope this is what that is. And, you know, listen... It isn't like because I met with him and pitched him the idea and he said he liked the idea that he was going to be in my movie, but that's all I needed, really. So then it took me about a year. I had it all figured out, but I hadn't started writing too much of it. But I was so into the two of them, I just needed to know they were interested. I didn't correspond with him in any way while I was writing, but it was probably a little under a year later. I said, remember me, blah, blah, blah. He said, I wondered about it. I said, yeah, okay, well, I've written it. So would you call him? Or you got him on the phone? Um, I think I think I did speak to him. No, I spoke to his lawyer. I spoke to he doesn't have an agent. I spoke to his lawyer. His lawyer I think he was shooting about Schmidt. And his lawyer said he doesn't read anything when he's working. And I said, I understand that. You sure? But, but <laughs> he said, no, he really, he does. So I, I said, how far into shooting are they? I remember asking that. Anyway, I heard from him a week later. So what happens? He calls. He called. Yes. You just answered the phone? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had just gotten out of the shower. And um, it was the greatest phone call in my life. He's, he's, he can be very complimentary in, a, in what I feel is a sincere way. And he's a writer himself, and he talked about the writing and the part. And, I mean, he was on board. You don't have to be shy. What so then you? I called Jack. I mean, I called Diane. I said, okay, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did uh, and they hadn't worked together since since Reds. Reds. Mm-hmm. She and I went up to his house, and when you get together, you get together at his yeah. house, you know. So we went up there, and I just watched them because they had barely seen each other since Reds, and they and I, and it was a really sweet rendezvous. And I just saw my movie. I just saw it. I was so excited. So you've said that. In Something Gotta Give, Diane Keaton writes and cries. And you were basically the same age as the character at the time. I think she's, you made her a couple years older than you were. Um, that was a lot of you in that character. Yes. The writing and the crying. <laughs> you want more than yeah. yeah, what was the... I get the <laughs> writing part. What was the crying part? <laughs> oh, the crying part was me writing the script. Uh, I had just... Um, broken up with somebody and uh was that your marriage or something after, no it was uh, after, after, after my after marriage. marriage yeah it was after my marriage and i i wrote somebody like him in a way in a way in a way the, the good parts of him i thought were like this person so um yeah, I remember I was seeing a shrink at the time and i said so you know i'm writing so a character kind of like you know this guy and uh, they end up together. But we didn't end up together. 
do you think that's not good for me? And he said, well, tell me more about it. I said, well, she writes a play about him and kills him. <laughs> and so the shrink said to me, I think that's you too, right? I said, oh, yeah, of course that's me too. He said, so I think you're covered. If it's good for your movie, have them end up together. <laughs> Nancy's 2006 movie, The Holiday, is also about recovering from heartbreak. Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz lead the cast. They're both going through breakups, so to shake things up, they decide to swap houses over the Christmas holiday. Diaz moves into Winslet's very English, English cottage, and Winslet into Diaz's Los Angeles mansion. The Holiday has an A-list cast. In addition to Winslet and Diaz, there's Jude Law and Jack Black. But I think the linchpin is Eli Wallach, as Winslet's new neighbor. Wallach was 91 at the time. He died in 2014. He was one of Hollywood's great character actors, always memorable, no matter how much screen time he got. He had roles in The Godfather 3 with Al Pacino, The Magnificent Seven with Steve McQueen, and he played opposite Clint Eastwood, in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. In The Holiday, Wallach is just lovely. He's Arthur, a formerly famous screenwriter who'd been blacklisted, now largely forgotten in retirement. He and Winslet become friends. They meet when Winslet is driving around her new neighborhood. She sees Arthur walking down the street by himself, so she gives him a ride. Well, this was some neat cute. <laughs> Sorry? It's how two characters meet in a movie. Say, say, a man and a woman both need something to sleep in. Uh-huh. And they both go to the same men's pajama department. Right. And the man says to the salesman, I just need bottoms. The woman says, I just need a top. They look at each other, and that's the meat cute. Oh, I see. Because this, this isn't quite that cute, but... <laughs> So I, the holiday has had this uh, 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 rebirth, you know. I mean, it was well-received at the time. I loved it because of Kate, and I loved it because of Eli Wallach, right? It was just, there's something. He was really, that, that was a great experience working with him. I absolutely loved it. He, he, filled, he filled the between shooting time with stories, endless stories, and great ones, all of them great. Like one day he said to me, you know, Marilyn was very good with numbers. I said, Monroe, <laughs> what do you mean? He said on, um, what was the movie they did together? Um, oh, crap. The Misfits. Was it The Misfits? Yes. Yeah. She's, right? Yes. She said, Eli, give me your contract. Let me go over it before you sign it. And he said she penciled the whole thing up, changed everything, and got me a great deal on the movie. Really? <laughs> That is an incredible <laughs> that's story. A, that's just one tidbit. He was really, and also so kind. And every, I know you don't want to hear this, Patty, but with every direction I gave him, right? I've had actors like look at me like, hmm? Or, you know, they're not always, mostly they're right. But sometimes they, they judge a little. Every single thing I said to him through the whole movie, he said, thank you. I would have never thought of that. That's very interesting. That's a good way to go. Oh, that's it. That's okay. Let me, I'm excited to try that. Literally every time. What do you think? That, what does that say? After studio, we taught acting right. for 100 years, you know, and I think he's open. Right. Open. Do no you, ego. But sometimes actors. And realize it's a, this is the process, you know. Kate adored him. Kate adored him. They 
we, we never let him leave the set. We would just all sit and talk with him all the time. In addition to the Holiday's top-tier cast, Myers managed to get another A-lister on board to make a cameo in the movie. Uh, how did you get to Dustin <laughs> Hoffman in The Holiday? Oh, I didn't get him at all. That was an accident. Um, we were shooting in Bruntwood on Vis- San Vicente Boulevard in a blockbuster, which is now a bank, which is sad. Um, and um, there's a restaurant next door, and I saw... We were shoot- so we're shooting the scene where um, Jack and, and um, Kate were looking at videos, and he was singing the Jack Black, Kate Jack Winslet. Black. Yeah, thank you. And he's uh, humming theme songs of, you know, themes, movie scores, which is what he's played a composer. So uh, he was entertaining her that way. Have you seen this? <gasps> Chariots of Fire, I loved it. Cling, 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 cling. Such a great score by Vangelis. He took electronic scores to a new level. It was groundbreaking. I'm going to test you on this later. And in walks Dustin Hoffman into, into, into the store, and it, which we obviously shut down for the day. And um, <clears throat> Dustin's daughter and my daughter grew up together, so I, I've known him for a long time. They were drawn to, like, the lights, right? They were like, what's going on here? Yes, right. he's wanted to see what <laughs> he wanted to see. He was leaving. He said he left the restaurant, saw they were shooting a movie. I think he saw my name somewhere and said, oh, I'm going to go in. So he came in. So he sat at the monitor with me while I was shooting. And... We're just talking, and he, he was great. He was just, you know, it was really just so lovely to have him there, and I think he was having fun watching, and Kate came over and Jack came over, and we're we shoot another take, and he watches. And then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what an idiot. They talk about The Graduate. They start humming Mrs. Rob- or He starts humming Mrs. Robinson. I said, wait a minute. This is crazy. You're, can, why don't you go be in the scene? And he said, he was cute. He was like, okay, what do you want me to do? I said, when he sings, Mrs. Ro- her hums, Mrs. I can't remember if he hummed it or sang it, Mrs. Robinson. He sang it. We're going to cut to you, and let's just cut to you and you give us something, you know. So he was in a sweatshirt. We didn't do his hair. We didn't change his clothes. We didn't even put makeup on him. He just went over into the aisle that they were in. It was great, and it really got such a huge laugh. It's such a surprise that he's th- but he would be there. It was his neighborhood. So that worked for the movie, too. Uh-oh. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? I bet you didn't know. That was all written for the movie. It was a score, technically. I didn't know that one. Can't go anywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> he added a cute line. He said, oh, I can't go anywhere or something like anywhere. that. Can't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, why does a movie like that have a rebirth? Do you think about that ever? Like, why, why do people all of a sudden fall in love with this movie? I thought start? about it when it started to happen and I was so happy because it didn't it didn't open as anybody thought it would. It opened softer than we thought. You know, there's a whole thing with Christmas release dates and you want to be from the 15th to the 25th or the good dates that came out. Unfortunately, I remember because it, it was my birthday, December 8th. And, and that's too early? It's to- too early. Huh. It's too early for my kind of movie. Mm-hmm. At least it used to be. I mean, I don't know right now what anybody how it works exactly with theatrical releases. But um, the thing they say is true. Women are busy. I am. I'm really busy for the first couple of weeks of December. Movies are not at the top of my list. So anyway, the, the movie didn't perform as I'd hoped, let alone they would hope. And so it took a while. I don't know what happened or how it happened or when it happened, but I know it happened. 
because, you know, I'm, I'm people talk to me about it. And I think during the pandemic and the pre-pandemic couple of years, it just sort of got rediscovered. And I, I'm happy. Listen, of course, I'm happy. People like it. In general, there's a sneering at romantic comedies. And I was trying to, I'm trying to figure out why. And I think some of it's the word romantic, which maybe a lot of men and some women don't like because it sounds schmaltzy, like just start talking about romance. That's unfortunate. But I don't know. And then I thought that the nickname, that the abbreviation is a little bit pejorative. Rom-com. Rom-com. Mm-hmm. Like, Kate uh, Winslet was the first person to say that to me. And I said, I never heard that I, I before that up, movie. I made it up yesterday. So I'm thrilled <laughs> that uh, Kate Winslet. No, but I'm serious. I remember when I first heard it and it was her, from her. Like what if superhero movies were called like superheroes? Mm-hmm. Right? Like they would just, it instantly makes them slightly right. yes, of less course. than. Yeah, no, it's definitely the kid's table. Mm-hmm. Right, that's right. It's kid's table. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know. And yet? Your movies are not kids' table movies. They're literally, <laughs> they're for they're for adults. They're for us. Yes. They're for grownups. And if you look at, I don't know if it's the AFI list or whatever that list is of the top hundred movies. There's a lot of romantic comedies in there, because it was considered at one time. Uh, great directors did them. Great Hitchcock did one. Right. Howard Hawks did them. Capra did them. I mean, if It's a Wonderful Life is a fantasy movie and a romantic comedy, isn't it? It's like he gets the girl. And, uh, I mean, all those movies have it. Uh, I mean, North by Northwest, all their scenes together, the romance in that movie is, it's dialogue right out of a romantic comedy. That's right. Yeah. Right? That scene Definitely. on the train in North by Northwest. Yeah, totally. Ernest Lehman, some, it's great romantic comedy. It's just, cle- you know what? It's not romantic comedy writing. It's clever, smart dialogue. Witty dialogue. So... Um, listen, there are movies that aren't about men, primarily. Mine happen to have a lot of men in them, but primarily they're not about men. Therefore, people don't find them that interesting. Like when my movie got shut down at Netflix, somebody who's a little bit outside Hollywood had a very big opinion about what giving her that amount of money to make a movie, not me personally, but my kind of movie. And I think what he was saying was, Movies about women don't get big budgets. Right. You know, I got attacked for it. And other people pick that up. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up, Nancy tells me about working on screenplays with one of the best writer-directors in Hollywood history, Billy Wilder. Before Nancy Myers was a successful director, she was an Oscar-nominated screenwriter. She wrote her first screenplay in the late 70s with her husband at the time, Charles Shire. It became the 1980 comedy Private Benjamin, starring Goldie Hawn as Judy Benjamin, a widow who joins the army after her husband dies. By the way, and this isn't the clip we'll be playing, he dies while they're having sex on their wedding night. I hate to interrupt you, but um, could I speak to you for a sec? Oh, my lord, Sergeant, would you look at this? What's what's your name, Princess, huh? Judy Benjamin. Judy Benjamin. Um, I think they sent me to the wrong place. Uh Uh-huh. 
See, uh, I did join the army, but I joined a different army. Uh -huh. uh, I joined the one with the condos and the private rooms. <laughs> what was the experience like of finding out you were nominated for an Oscar for your first uh, screenplay? Oh, gosh, no one's ever asked me that. They call you. Somebody calls you, right? I don't remember how we found out. Charles has the better memory. I have to call and ask him that one. How did we find out? Maybe we watched it on TV? I don't know. Was I don't on? remember. Uh, isn't that you weird? don't remember. I don't remember how right. I found out. But I remember getting dressed to go. And, you know, there were no stylists then or anything. I did my hair myself. I mean, it was like, you know, we were like just regular people back then. <laughs> 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 I went out and bought something to wear, did my hair, getting ready to get in the car. And Reagan had been shot. And oh, the right, awards were canceled. Not right. canceled, but postponed. postponed right. That was wild. Let's talk about someone who's received a lot of nominations uh, uh, for writing. Uh, how'd you meet Billy Wilder? Um, when Charles and I wrote Baby Boom, we wrote it on spec, and which means that it goes out to, uh, you know, all the studios sort of at the same time. And there were a couple of people that wanted it, so we had a choice of where we wanted to land. And one place was MGMUA, who had just... Recently, I had read in the trades had Billy Wilder was working for them as an advisor to their projects. Baby Boom came out in 87, so this is like 86 probably, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we had our agent call over and say, is there a chance they could work? They would like to, to have the script land there if they could work with him. And, and uh, Tony Thomopoulos was the head of the studio at the time, and he said... Absolutely, that's what he's here for, to work with writers whose movies we oh. want to make, blah, blah, blah. So we sold the movie to them. Uh, we met Wilder on the street, outside the offices, actually. And he, uh, I couldn't believe my ears, complimentary about the script. Billy Wilder's career spanned five decades. He made some of the most important movies in history, Sunset Boulevard and Double Indemnity. Stalag 17 and Ace in the Hole, plus Some Like It Hot and The Apartment. To this day, a sign of what Wilder meant to her, Nancy keeps a copy of the script for The Apartment on her desk. So we worked with him for a period of time, and we just would go through the script. The script was in pretty good shape, but, you know, it, I mean, who couldn't use Bill? It's a dream. It's like a dream to have him give you notes on your script. And... Uh, he had a very chic office. I remember he had all these uh, Eames chairs, and he sat back in his chair behind his desk, and he leaned really far back. He leaned really far back to the point where I thought, he's going to fall over. Like he, But that's how he thought. When he had an idea, he would just lean and lean, lean way back. Um, he was He's a fantastic storyteller, and anybody that's read any books about him, you will hear some of the same stories over and over. But we got to hear them in person, which was great. When you're with one of these great storytellers, it doesn't matter whether you've heard the story before. Exactly. At, at all. Exactly. In fact, sometimes it's wonderful to hear it. Yes, the second, exactly. Third, fourth time. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I felt that way. He was, uh, you know, when I, 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 um, you know, there, we we had made a, a CD, like we had a little tape, micro cassette. You recorded the. Conversation. We recorded the conversations, and I listened recently to one of the meetings with him. And he had a very dark idea for the opening of the movie. 
that he really liked, but I couldn't, I couldn't go for it. But the dark idea was that the baby, who was inherited by Diane Keaton, who was a, you know, what they used to call career woman. So his, so Billy's idea was that we should start on the funeral and the baby should be at the Because the baby's parents the have been baby's killed parents in an accident. have been killed in an accident. And the baby should be at the funeral in a bassinet draped in black by the coffin. And I was thinking, do you remember the monkey that died in Sunset Boulevard? Do you remember right. in the yeah, beginning sure. of the movie? I thought, I don't know. We're not making Sunset Boulevard. I think that's too dark. You know? <laughs> Didn't keep them from pitching it every day when we came in. But I do remember our lunches more than the work. What and he would it? always tell us what to order. <laughs> and one day he said that egg salad here is terrific. You have to get the egg salad. You know, and do you my, remember where you were? Yeah, well, it was a little place on Wilshire, but it's not there anymore. But there's not a day I don't drive by that block, kind of across from Neiman Marcus, that I don't look over. And it's like in a movie, in a way. You know, I could see us, three of us sitting there. And I remember I didn't order the egg salad, but apparently he wasn't listening. And I, my whatever, my chicken sandwich came ready. He said, I told you to get the egg salad. <laughs> So I learned. Yeah. So after that, I just got what he told me to get. Yeah, that's right. That's the, uh, uh, and he had a suggestion for, for Baby Boom, too. He wanted a certain joke in there, right? He said, um, if you just can get the baby to pass wind, you will make me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. This is Billy Wilder. reads a 120-page script about a career woman who inherits a baby and adjusts to her new life. And he's like, we need a fart joke. But, yeah, but you yeah. want to know something? He also had good, obviously, other than that dark one and that, which, you know, we always laughed every time he said it because he said it every day. But he also said, what about if they're buying her business to kill it? Because oh, they just yeah. want her not to have that. They want her back at the company. She was a valuable person, you know. And it, we toyed around with that a lot. We didn't end up doing that, but it was a really good idea. You yes, know? it was ahead of its time. And good sense. idea. Right. Very good, good idea. idea. Like director Billy Wilder, who came to Hollywood first as a writer, Nancy Myers also became a director. Many of her films are massive commercial hits, especially her charming romantic comedies, made for grown-ups amid an avalanche of superhero pictures. Despite all that success, the conversation around Nancy Myers and her movies is often about the set design, which kind of pisses her off. So as we were getting ready for this interview, one of the things, and everyone on guest interviews, you maybe gets told this, like uh, Nancy doesn't want to talk about decor, which to me was a great way because I don't give a shit about how anybody's <laughs> kitchen looks in any movie in the history of movies. That's not, not why I like your movies. I don't think, oh man, that island, right? That's not what I come out of a film thinking. But why don't you like talking about that? Um, because it's, it gets a lot of attention and, and my name is used a lot in describing things yeah, now, I, I guess, yeah. you know, and, uh, it just went off. It, that thing just happened. I, I don't feel it's like not me. Do you know what I mean? I didn't create that. You know, I didn't come up with a pair of white pants and a <laughs> white turtleneck, right. you know, like I didn't come up with that. I don't know why I got stuck with it. Or the interiors and all that stuff. You know, I what I do know is that there are movies 
in my life that I've seen that had interiors that I loved, you know, that became, I looked forward to when a scene would be in that room. And, you know, it's part of the film. And, and, and these are very talented people that contribute to the movie. Like, like the, there's a scene in the Philadelphia story in the very beginning of the movie where Catherine Hepburn is, uh, I think she's jotting down her gifts or something. And she says to her mother, how do you spell omelet? How do you spell omelet? O-M-M-E-L-E-T. I thought there was another L. And none That's of them can spell it. They're all trying to figure out spell omelet. And she's sitting on this gigantic sofa with this floral pattern, and it's on the drapery. And then she's in this fantastic outfit with these long legs and the pants. And then she gets off the sofa, and she gets off the sofa like nobody's ever gotten off the sofa ever. She takes her leg over her sister to right. get off the sofa. Right. So the whole room helps. Like it was, it's not much of a scene, but there was something about her in that room. And that whole house is gigantic. But no room is like that room. It's kind of the cozy, smaller room of the house. It just spoke to me. Or like, um, like bringing up baby, right? When they go to that house in Connecticut. And maybe it's because I didn't grow up in a place like that. But um, movies taught me a lot about how people live. Right? Lubitsch movies, the Deco, the Deco house in um, Trouble in Paradise, the Parisian house, you know? But when so people whatever. talk okay, about so Lubitsch movies, they talk about the, the comedy and the romance and the Lubitsch touch and the manner in which they communicate. They yes. don't talk about the, as much about the style and use. Right, but I guess I did it in a couple movies in a row that people like the way they look. Well, I don't know. Just, but you know, of course, that doesn't happen unless people like the movies. Like, that doesn't happen if the movies aren't good. Well, hopefully they're yeah. not. They don't buy a ticket to go see <laughs> so, that part of the movie. But I guess my point is a long way of saying, I think I'm doing what other filmmakers have done that I admired, you know, where they, they're giving you a complete package. It's been a bit since Nancy Myers has made a feature film. Her last movie came out in 2015, The Intern, starring Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro. It was delightful. My 10-year-old daughter loved it. She now thinks of Robert De Niro as the guy from The Intern. Taxi Driver is going to baffle her. Anyway, just last year, Nancy had a movie in pre-production at Netflix called Paris Paramount, about a filmmaking duo who, after falling in and out of love, reunite on set to work together again. Netflix bought the rights, but according to reports, the project was canceled due to budgetary concerns. The price tag was coming in between 130 and $150 million. Nancy had already cast the film. Michael Fassbender, right. Owen Wilson, Penelope Cruz. Good cast. <laughs> yeah, super talented people. Yeah, um, pretty exciting. I was, uh, yeah. I was very looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, seven weeks in, uh, we were, uh, yeah, we were just starting our eighth week of prep when they they chose not to make it. And why? What reason they gave financially? Your- and this was an expensive movie. And I only want to shoot in L.A. And as you know, most movies shoot out of town because it's too expensive to shoot here. But my deal was that I stay here because you live here. You I don't live go- here. I have grandchildren here. I have children here. And I have gone away to make movies a bunch of times. And at this point in my life, I didn't want to do that. So I retired, actually. So I really felt I was 
I felt happy. You with retired all the work before I, this. I had retired, and like Netflix, Netflix came to me and asked me to would I make a movie for them, and I said, you know, I really don't want the stress of the job anymore. Well, what what about what, 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 what you know? They want to know what 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 are what are the things? I said, I don't want to leave town. I just don't want because you know I'm not an actor or someone who's like a crew member who's. You can't go for three weeks and come back. No, I'm yeah. there for nine months. Yeah. One movie I was gone for. It's complicated. I was gone for a little over six months, and the intern I was gone for nine months. Where for the intern? New York. I mean, it's not a terrible place to be. Yeah, but it's not where your family is. It's, it's not, not where your house is. It's not where my yeah. heart is yeah. either. You know, I like it was whatever. So, um, so you know, we made a deal that I don't leave town. I also wanted to work ten-hour days. There was, you know, some things that were important to me at 73, the way I wanted to make a movie. And um, so they agreed to all of that, and and you know, the, it was high. It's expensive to do that. And it's really sad and unfortunate because the fact that so many of us have to leave our homes to do our jobs, it's, un, it's just unfortunate that we don't have the rebate that the U.K. offers or Atlanta offers. That's why we still shoot TCM in Atlanta. You go to Atlanta? I go to Atlanta. I've been going to Atlanta every month for 20 years. Yeah. Right. I'm going next week. Wow. Um, well, but it's for four days. It's for four yeah. days. Right. Yes, yeah. you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you can you, handle you that. You take a yeah. carry-on. If I can yeah. make a movie in a carry-on, <laughs> yeah, I right. would do yeah. it. Oh, my God. I'd never check it back. For four well, days. It's insane. Either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so that's what happened. So, uh, so they decided not to make the movie, and Warner Brothers picked it up. And um, it's kind of a long story that we'll go into later <laughs> but could it still happen at, at Warner Brothers I hope so so it's still uh, it's still alive yes, yes, in yes. some in some way but it's hard oh, you yeah, don't know if sure. you'll get the cast because they and I've the cast tricky. has all been lovely and you know like we're here for you kind of thing and we'll see if we can make it work don't go anywhere after the break Nancy plays the super eight this is the part of the interview where we ask filmmakers a series of set questions. Questions about movies they've watched, loved, and haven't forgotten. We call it our Super 8 because, uh, well, there are eight questions. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Well, what's your most memorable movie-watching experience? Well, I would say The Exorcist. Really? Because I was petrified. And I went by myself... And an afternoon, it was raining, I think. I kind of remember it was raining. I knew nothing about it. I didn't, I didn't even know what it was about. I'd heard it was good. That was the limit. <laughs> you were here in L.A. by then, right? I was Just, in L.A. I yeah. saw it on Wilshire Boulevard. And I had uh, nobody's hand to squeeze. Anyway, when the movie was over, I got up out of my seat and ran out of the theater, ran down the street, around the corner to my car, got in the car, locked the doors. I was so scared. What's uh, the movie you've rewatched most often, you think? There's so many that I go back to all the time. Um, but uh, I would say that um, The Apartment, North by Northwest, it's one I love to watch over and over. Rear Window, I watch constantly. Love in the Afternoon. And The Philadelphia Story, which I could probably recite for you. 
Is there a movie that you would show to a person who you were interested in dating? Uh, right now, I would show them Day for Night. Oh. Because your your current screenplay is a is a is a behind the scenes Hollywood it story. It is. Yeah. It is. And so I rewatched Day for Night and then watched it a lot while I was writing, and it's just a great movie. I think an absolutely great movie, and 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 it so captures filmmaking as I know it. I you know I don't make effects movies. So those bits and things that happen in that movie could happen on any movie. Is there a, a movie you loved uh, in high school? When I saw A Man and a Woman in high school, mm-hmm. I had never seen a movie like that before. Probably I'd never seen a French film before. And I never saw, I never saw love conveyed on screen like that before. So for a young person, for a teenager, it was exciting and beautiful. That means something extra uh, when it is spoken by Nancy Myers, because that that suggests that that informed you going forward. Yeah, in the holiday, there's a there's a brief little scene with Jude and Cameron where they're out in English countryside um, manor where they went for lunch, and then after they're kind of just playing around, they're chasing each other, they're just having fun, and I I kept playing that theme. One of the things from a man and a woman, and uh, I kept wanting it to be like that, and nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I showed everybody. It really isn't the same, but it, yeah. Uh, also, those giant close-ups of them. It was just great. It was beautiful. Is there a uh, for is, someone who's not never been in love when you're a teenager and you see something like that, it gives you hope. Uh, is there a movie you you have to defend to people? Good-naturedly defend. Well, people think I don't like anything that isn't pretty and funny and sweet. Mm-hmm. So that's simply not true about my movie taste. Um, but this kind of fits in with that, though. It's Paddington 2. Mm-hmm. Paddington 2 was a great movie. So beautifully made, so funny, and so winning, sweet. It's dear. It's wonderful. It's, it's everything you'd hope, uh, you know, a children's movie would be. And I, and I say that not as a child. I loved it. Uh, you've probably mentioned it, but what, what, what's the movie you'd recommend most to others? I think that really depends on when someone, when I'm just seeing some, you know, I don't have one movie that I've held on to all these years, although there are the classics that I could recommend to anybody ever. But I mean, like last year, it was The Worst Person in the World, the Norwegian movie. Mm-hmm. Fabulous movie. So great. Did you see it? Nope, but I know that you're not the sixth or seventh person. It's just to- so beautifully told. She's wonderful, and uh, it's just so beautifully directed, and the story's so, it's wonderful. But right now, this year, or not this year, this month, I've been recommending Modern Times to people because I just saw it for the first time. You saw it for the first time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, I mean, my mind was blown. This feeding machine? Good morning, my friends. May I take the pleasure of introducing Mr. J. Willicombe Billows, the inventor of the Billows feeding machine a practical device which automatically feeds your men while at work. Billy Wilder has this famous line that um, comedy does not uh, get better with age like a fine wine. But that Chaplin bit is just brilliant. Uh, Is there a movie makes you cry without fail? Planes, trains, and automobiles. Not the answer I expected. That time. Not, now you're surprised. <laughs> what That's, did you think of? You know, the, uh, uh, what, what, what part makes you cry? At the end. Yeah. When they're carrying the trunk together yeah. to, to back house. to Steve's house yeah. for Thanksgiving. And also John Candy's face 
in that whole last section. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. Uh, did your mom have a favorite movie, your dad? My mom was much more about music, but my dad liked The Great Escape. Hmm. Loved The Great Escape. I love The Great Escape. Uh, Nancy, thank you so much, and thanks for taking so thank much time. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, this was lovely. You have a nice house, by the way. I thought it would be a dump, but it's actually pretty nice. <laughs> what a dump. <laughs> thank you. Nice. I thought it would be a dump is the best compliment I've ever got. <laughs> what a great way to launch this season of Talking Pictures. So many good movies mentioned in my conversation with Nancy Myers. But after all those Billy Wilder stories, I'm going to rewatch one from him. That's also one of my favorites, Ace in the Hole, starring Kirk Douglas from 1951. Still so relevant today. Then you can indulge in Sunset Boulevard from 1950 and Stalag 17 from 1953, both of those with William Holden. But only if you like great movies. That's our show. We have more to come. This season, Alexander Payne, Mel Brooks, Emerald Fennell, and next week, Steven Soderbergh. You can find many of the movies we talked about on the streaming service Max. We made a list for you. It's in our show notes. James Kim produces and edits Talking Pictures. Dory Stegman books the show. Glenn Matullo mixes each episode. Thanks to Phil Richards, Jaco Friedman, Julie Baton, Katie Daniels, and Emma Morris. Angela Carone is our executive producer. Special thanks to Michael Gluckstad and Allison Cohen from the Max Podcast team. And as always, to Charlie Tavish from TCM. See you next time.